The Blur Havoc podcast may contain content some may find offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate for work or school. All views expressed on this show solely belong to the individual that expressed them. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Blur Havoc Podcast. I'm your host, the roguishly handsome Alistair Haken. Uh, that's not going to be a new thing. It's, I consider myself roguishly handsome, so screw it. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about um, villains, uh, and more specifically, Killmonger, because I get I, I get a lot of flack from my friends whenever I mention that Killmonger is not a good villain, as in he is not written very well. Especially when you think about what the intention of the director was and then how it contradicts a lot of the stuff that happens in the movie. So what I did is that I found an article back from 2018, like a month after Black Panther first came out, right? That says, it's an article on Forbes that says why Killmonger was such a compelling villain in Black Panther. And what we're going to do is we're going to react to it. Just like uh, the cyberpunk article that we did last episode, I'm going to react to this uh, article here. So let's see here. Let's start from the top. The greatest superhero films tend to be defined by their villain, not their hero. Think of the Joker from The Dark Knight, Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man 2, and Obadiah Stane from Iron Man. What do they have in common? Not a vague desire to destroy the world, that's for sure. Well, to be completely honest, your hero is not defined by the villain. You can have a pretty weak villain and still have really interesting and fun characters be your heroes, such as Guardians of the Galaxy. In the first Guardians of the Galaxy, Ronan was an awful villain that was really boring, yet we still love the Guardians of the Galaxy because they were written very well and we were endeared to them because of the very clever writing. Or in the case of, say, what's another one? Ant-Man, alright? Scott Lang is a goofball that we love because of his connection to his daughter, right? But the villain in the first movie is a terrible villain. He's boring and he doesn't really do anything of importance until the end of the movie so yeah it's not necessarily you know true that the movie the the hero is only as good as the villain but the villain can make a good movie even better if you ask me but that's just my personal opinion um we'll get to my personal opinion on villains later on but let's continue all of these villains have small scale plans that don't just present an obstacle to the hero they force him to reevaluate his entire existence the Joker shows Batman that Gotham needs decent politicians more than a vigilante in a bat costume. Dr. Octopus makes Peter Parker question whether he can truly live two lives. And Obadiah Stane makes Tony Stark realize that you can't be a superhero and an arms dealer. Huh. What? Is that really what you, is that really what you thought Obadiah Stane did? And on top of that, Tony kind of realized that well before Obadiah Stane made himself known as the antagonist of the movie. So, I don't think Obadiah Stane really did that. I mean, I kind of agree with the Joker and the Doc Ock uh, uh, analysis. Um, but the Obadiah Stane one is like, no. Because Tony, Tony came to the realization that he could not be an arms dealer because of his, because of his own um, experience. Realizing that his weapons were being used for evil. Which is never what he intended. So basically, once he got a taste of his own medicine, he realized that this was bad. And he's decided to 
do something about it well before he decided to become a uh, a superhero. So I don't think those two are actually really linked. He didn't become a like. Here's the thing. I think the best way to summarize it is that he didn't become a superhero to stop arms dealing. He became a superhero as a result of stopping his arms dealing. You feel me? It's it's like a matter of the chicken came before the egg or the egg came before the chicken. So, yeah, that that I don't agree with that last one. So let's continue. The actions of these villains improve the hero by exposing their flaws, offering an extreme vision of what could go wrong if the hero refuses to change. And that's exactly what Killmonger does in, to, ki- to to wait, 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 no, 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 no. Hold on. Sorry, I'm scratching my beard. But what? An extreme vision of what could go wrong if the hero refuses to change, and that's exactly what Killmonger does to King T'Challa. See, I don't have a problem with the extreme vision of what could go wrong if the hero refuses to change. I don't have a problem with that, because I kind of agree. That's how I write some of my villains. Such as Rise from Blur Havoc 1. He's written this way. He's kind of a mirror image of Alistair, right? But Killmonger is not a mirror image of T'Challa at all. I don't know where you're getting that from because while kill here's the thing while Killmonger is an actual character T'Challa isn't T'Challa is barely like he's basically a filter for the audience he has the same relevance to the plot as a silent protagonist right the only thing is he says things right but we're we're not gonna get into T'Challa's presence in the movie we're this is more so about Killmonger but uh Killmonger is not the op is not what could go wrong if the hero refuses to change because what Killmonger wanted to do was an extreme flip it was an extreme opposite not an extreme version of what T'Challa wanted to do T'Challa wanted to keep things the way they were he wanted things to be like you know he wanted Wakanda to be secluded from the rest of the world still you know be very secretive and um conservative with their resources Killmonger was like, let's go outside of this bitch and just start enslaving white people. I'm not I'm not even hyperbolizing. That's exactly what his plan was. Don't at me. <laughs> but he wanted to like like enslave and kill white people, specifically murdering women and children is what he said. So please tell me how that is a, an extreme version of what T'Challa wanted. T'Challa wanted nothing of the sort. So I don't know where that came from. So let's continue. At the start of Black Panther, T'Challa is no hero. Wait, what? No, one of his... No, 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 no. You cannot screw it up that easily. T'Challa literally, one of the first things he does in the movie is save a bunch of kids from being, like, kid soldiers and, like, women... Like, basically, he stops a whole human trafficking, like, operation as one of the first things he does in the movie. You know, in that scene where you can't see shit because it's dark? Yeah, T'Challa is literally one of the first thing he does is is be a hero so i don't know what you're talking about so t'challa is a hero by definition right like what well what is the definition of hero since we since we started the semantics game a person who is admired or idealized for courage outstanding achievements or noble qualities yeah i'd say rescuing a bunch of kids and women from a human trafficking ring and and not killing any of the children that were forced to fight against him yeah i'd say that's a pretty heroic thing for t'challa to do so, I'd say T'Challa is a hero. Is he a great character in Black Panther? No, not really, but he's a good, he's a, he's a hero, at least. So, let's continue. This isn't exactly a secret. The, oh, no. 
Oh no. Here we go. Y'all done brought politics into this, and I hate bringing politics into entertainment. T'Challa is no hero. This isn't exactly a secret. The alt-right has been snickering at the resemblance between T'Challa and Donald Trump's ideologies for months. Even Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, said of his character, I am the enemy. It's the enemy I've always known. It's power. It's having privilege. What? Wait. 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 You cannot. You cannot do this. Because, first of all, this the the origin story of, like, not the origin story, but the, the, the original source material, right? That's the word I was looking for, source material. The source material for Black Panther is, has been this well before Donald Trump was even, like, thinking about running for office, right? Which, um, if you didn't know, Donald Trump's first attempt at running for presidency was in the 2000s, not in 2016, just so you know. A little bit of trivia, but, um, yeah, uh, the whole thing of them being secret, like, in a secret society that's in, like, you know, hidden from the rest of the world, yeah, that was a thing well before Donald Trump was even thinking about presidency, okay? So, while, yeah, there's a whole thing about the wall and border security and whatever, you know, I'd say coincidental, not necessarily intentional. But what exactly, here's the thing, is that, logically speaking, how exactly does that make T'Challa the enemy for wanting security for his people because when you expose yourself to the outer world you expose yourself to various threats i mean let alone like we have our own threats here in our country that are domestic right so imagine opening your your world to other people so i don't i wouldn't say he's necessarily the enemy for believing that not to get all political and stuff but but i i don't really see that i don't see that t'challa is the enemy because he just wants what's best for his people and just like how, you know, the phrase, every villain is the hero of his own story, every hero is, you know, the villain in somebody else's story, right? So it's purely a matter of perspective. It's not a matter of what T'Challa do, is doing is objectively wrong. It's just a matter of perspective for his situation. Now, Killmonger, we'll get to that. Let's continue. Indeed, before Killmonger came along and smacked some sense into him, oh, whatever, T'Challa is more than happy to keep Wakanda's doors firmly closed. Yeah, I'd be pretty, you know, I'd be pretty happy to keep my doors closed too, you know, because I'm a, I'm a no drama kind of person. I like to keep my doors closed, you know. Like, why open ourselves to that kind of problem when, you know, don't need to, but that's just me thinking smart, you know, but whatever. This is the way it's always been after all, and nobody wants to be the guy who ends centuries of tradition for an untested idea. You might mess things up. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I know Shuri has the whole thing of just because something works doesn't mean improve. it needs to be, it can't be improved or whatever. I don't care. It works, and the risk for not following it far outweighs the benefits of not following it. So, whatever. Let's continue. But then Killmonger bursts onto the scene. He's the son of Wakandan royalty, yet viewed as a foreigner. He's seen the result of Wakanda's refusal to share their technology with the needy, and he's absolutely furious. Well, here's the thing. Let's play this out. Let's play. Let's do a deconstruction of Killmonger's plan, right? So Killmonger says that black people were... God, here we go. Okay, so Killmonger says black people um, in America were enslaved and oppressed and stuff, right? Because Wakanda didn't help. Now, here's the truth. Here's the truth. If Wakanda did help black people in America, it would just be flipped. It would be so that black people are on, type, 
on top, and then white people would be imprisoned, basically. Right? Because here's the thing. The, a little bit of a history lesson here. Um, I want to get back to, you know, writing and stuff real quick because this is not what this podcast is for. But history lesson. So the reason why the Europeans colonized Africa was purely because they had the power to do so. Right? Because what happened is that the European colonies, the Europeans actually made contact with the Chinese. And the Chinese had gunpowder. So in turn, the Europeans were able to craft weaponry firearms because of this gunpowder while the african uh villages and tribes they didn't have access to that gunpowder so that's the truth is that the the europeans just had superior firepower now if if the africans had superior firepower i'm pretty sure it would probably go the opposite way just because that's just how things were back then is that like might made might made right back then so it's not necessarily because of race, it's because they just had the power to do so. Playing it out realistically, if Wakanda did help out the the black people in America, the black people would just flip it over and make white people slaves, and then it's basically what I'm saying is that it has nothing to do with race, it has more so to do with the fact that one side had more power than the other. It's really that simple. But let's continue. And the uncomfortable truth about Killmonger is his anger is entirely justified. Uh, I don't agree or disagree quite yet. In a strange way, he's much more relatable to the audience than T'Challa. <laughs> no, 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 he isn't. I don't relate to a man that is willing to kill his girlfriend after being used as a human shield. I don't relate to a man that plans on massacring women and children simply because they're white. I don't relate to a man that slits the throat of like a royal guard for, you know, defending the throne. I don't relate to a man that attempted to kill his cousin, both of his cousins, mind you. I don't relate to a man that threatens innocent people because they, they object to what he's doing. I don't relate to that. That is such a strange thing. Regardless of the rhetoric that he has, and even then his rhetoric is flawed, but regardless of the rhetoric he has, I don't relate to him because he's an, a terrible piece of shit in the movie. He's a horrible person. Well, let's continue. He's American, born into poverty, and has struggled throughout his life to achieve a fraction of what T'Challa inherited. Yeah, I could see how you'd be a little salty about that, but that doesn't make him any more relatable. He's an extremely sympathetic villain. Oh, here we go. This is what I really wanted to get into here. He's an extremely sympathetic villain, and if it wasn't for the whole race war thing, we'd be happily rooting for him. Like I said, in my earlier instances, in my earlier examples... I would not be rooting for him. I do not relate to him because he's a horrible person. Like, he's a terrible, terrible person. So I do not root for him. I do not like him. I am not relating to him. He's not sympathetic to me. If you can find sympathy in a person that slits people's throats and shoots his girlfriend just because he f they failed to not be taken hostage, then, okay, I guess you, sh you should go check into a hospital or something. Because you might need a few screws checked, right? Because that's not relatable. But let's continue. But of course, he offers a terrible solution to the dilemma facing T'Challa, forcing the ousted king to reject both isolationism and bloody uprising and conceive a third option. Uh, I guess. I guess that's fine. I don't know. 
It's Killmonger's violent intrusion into the ancient society that prompts T'Challa and Wakanda itself to finally open their doors to the world and share their precious me metal. You see, this is all under the assumption that Wakanda actually intervening would have made it more peaceful. Made it so that black people weren't oppressed and stuff, right? That's under that assumption. What if, like I said in my deconstruction, what if the power was just flipped and black people were on top? This is under the assumption that Wakanda stepping in and stopping the oppression would create peace rather than bloody war that causes black people to be on top instead of white people. That's an assumption. So T'Challa is make T'Challa is risking his country's security over an assumption, an ideal, an, an ideal like like a preconceived notion of idealism, right? That ideally, if uh, Wakanda would have stepped in hundreds of years ago to stop the oppression and slavery of black people, that things would have been peaceful. That may not have been the case, though. That That's a problem for T'Challa in terms of his writing, but another day. Let's continue. Killmonger is the only reason we like T'Challa, really, and the character is one of the few Marvel villains to ever actually accomplish something. Hela, she wanted to... She wanted to rule Asgard, and she actually she actually did for like a good majority of the movie. Loki in Dark World, he did succeed in you know overthrowing Odin and running Asgard. So, yeah, you're kind of wrong. I mean, no matter how short lived the success the success was, it happened. Let's not forget Helmut Zemo either. Like he actually successfully disbanded the Avengers. That was his goal, and we're just gonna pretend that he didn't succeed. Really. More importantly, uh, Killmonger is the only reason we like T'Challa? No. I like T'Challa going in because of his badass portrayal in Civil War, which is the most upsetting thing about Black Panther is that they didn't take that characterization from Civil War into Black Panther. Because in Black Panther, T'Challa is so freaking boring. But in Civil War, he was legitimately like an awesome character that actually made me want to see more of him. Because I had known about Black Panther before Civil War, but Civil War was the movie that made me go, I like this character. And then they flubbed him in Black Panther, and then everything after that was just a pale imitation of the Civil War character. But that's just me. That's me personally. Um, let's continue. In a sense, he won, even if Wakanda didn't quite go in the direction he wanted it to. I guess, sure, he won, quote-unquote. But let's continue. Not only is Killmonger sympathetic and his actions impactful, he's also a highly memorable character. Michael B. Jordan imbues him with a playful swagger and his charisma easily outshines the rest of the cast. Well, yeah, that's the that's the real that's the real like core of the issue here is that people are confusing enjoyable screen presence with good characterization, good writing. Michael B. Jordan is an amazing actor. He is a great actor, fantastic. Like and he he knows how to really sell you a character, make you really like a character. Like his his work in uh, Creed, the Creed movies is fantastic. But that's the thing is that people are confusing his characterization, like the 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 actor and the way that he acts with good writing. That's the problem is that they say he's sympathetic when he's um he's sympathetic when he's out here talking about I want to kill women and children, defenseless women and children. I want to start a race war. I want to, um, I'm going to kill my girlfriend if she gets captured. Like, that's sympathetic to you. Really. 
I'm going to choke out this random uh, random servant to the throne because she said we shouldn't burn all of the purple plants. Just going to choke her out because it's like, no, that's not sympathetic. <laughs> OK, that's not. So let's continue quickly. Who is your favorite villain in the MCU? Loki, Vulture, Jeff Goldblum. I actually quite enjoyed Vulture. Uh, Loki is a pretty decent villain, but he really gets a, a case of this trope called Draco and Leather Pants where, like, he has done pretty bad things, but the fandom just really likes to, like, make him the super sympathetic and almost heroic character. When really he didn't do anything heroic until, like, Ragnarok and then Infinity War. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, some of my favorite uh, villains are in the MCU, like Thanos. Um, Loki is a pretty good villain. Vulture, I like Vulture a lot because it, it takes the the typical Spider-Man villain and kind of twists it on his head. Where it's like, uh, it's a person that Spider-Man knows uh, in his real life, but you know they don't know he's Spider-Man. But in this in in Homecoming, that's when Homecoming actually got really good. Was when it's revealed that uh, spoiler alert, I guess Vulture is the parent, like is the father of his crush. Lauren right and in the car like he he finds out like Vulture puts the pieces together um and realizes that Peter is Spider-Man and that was one of my favorite scenes in like any Spider-Man movie to be completely honest because it was just a nice like different kind of vibe to it with the villain meeting the hero kind of thing like face to face um but I liked Vulture a lot I liked him a lot but um and um Ego Ego's a pretty decent villain, in my opinion, especially with the reveal that he's he's the uh, reason that Star-Lord's mother died. That was a pretty mind-blowing twist. I don't really like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 like that, but I liked, you know, parts of it, but I didn't like the entire package. Like, everything after Groot, uh, Groot Rocket, and um, Yondu make it to Ego, I like that, but everything before it was just like, yeah. But let's continue. I, I, I went off on a tangent. Who else can you even remember? Uh, I can remember all of them, actually. Obadiah Stane. Uh, actually, you might have a point because I cannot remember the the name of the, the Russian dude from Iron Man 2. I can't remember. I, I know his, his alias is Whiplash in the movie at the end. And then the uh, the hammer guy. Uh, okay, conceded. You got me. <laughs> you got me. Okay. Um, let's continue. There's an embarrassing deficit of decent antagonists in the MCU, and for a superhero franchise, that's not good enough. Well, like I said, uh, villains don't have to, you don't have to have an amazing villain if you have outstanding main characters. So, the villain doesn't have to carry everything. The main characters have to carry everything, and if you make a villain that's fantastic, then you've, you know, you've done a good job. Made a very well-rounded cast. But... As we've seen with the MCU, you can have pretty decent movies with average, you know, average to boring villains as long as the main characters are engaging. I'm looking at you, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which that movie was pretty funny, but the villain was atrocious, especially it was one of those villains where if you really think about it and they sat down and talked about it instead of making jokes for 10 minutes, it, we wouldn't have had a movie. Let's be real. But anyway, uh, continue. Uh where was I? Black Panther gave us an enemy to remember, one that transforms the untested T'Challa into a real hero. Like I said, the only reason we remember him is because Michael B. Jordan is a straight dog when it comes to acting. But anyway, I hope we see more Marvel villains like Killmonger. I hope to God we never see a villain like Killmonger again. Whew. 
sheesh, he was so he was unlikable. But like I said, the only reason we like him is because Michael B. Jordan. Twisted characters who can, we can actually relate to. Like I said, again, if you can relate to Killmonger, you might need to get your head checked out because that man is nuts. Twisted characters who we can relate to, whose motivations we can both condemn and understand. Yeah, that's fine. Being like, that's fine. That, hold that thought. Put a pin in that. Destroying the world might be a good excuse for a flashy fight sequence, but as a motivation, it's just so damn boring. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, just like, just being like, I want to destroy the world. Muhahaha. Like, ugh, boring. Hopefully the Russo brothers have managed to inject a decent amount of personality to Thanos in the upcoming Infinity War. Um, yeah, he, they, <laughs> spoiler alert, they did, and it was awesome. It was amazing. In Infinity War, at least. Endgame is a different story. While Black Panther changed the MCU and broke boss, box office records in many, in my mind, the film's greatest achievement was introducing a villain whose death felt more like a tragedy than a triumph. That is a, whoo, mm. well, that is an assumption. <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. Killmonger dying is probably getting him getting his just desserts for being such an awful human being. But back to something that uh, I wanted to point out earlier when it said a villain whose motivations we can both condemn and understand. That is really actually the key to writing a really good villain is writing a villain whose motivations are understandable. But at the same time, you're like, dude, you're going about it the wrong way. Like uh, Zemo, Helmut Zemo in um, Civil War, right? Where he lost his entire family in the uh, the Battle of Sokovia in uh, Age of Ultron, and it's understandable, right, to not want these because you because you, Civil War was basically saying, hey, a lot of this stuff that's happening in the MCU, all these bad things, are because of the heroes. The heroes are hurting people. Like Ultron was created by two Avengers, so it's natural for him to be like, I don't want these people around anymore because. They keep creating bad things. They keep bringing trouble to this world. So it's understandable for him to not want this around. But at the same time, breaking them apart and killing, you know, a bunch of people to make it happen. No. And at the same time, in the event that there's an an objective threat such as Thanos. You would want a, a whole team of superheroes to be able to step up to the plate and stop someone like that. So that's the kind of moral dilemmas that really, you know, make great villains. And we'll go, we'll touch upon uh, making great villains in another episode. But but the problem with Killmonger is that I don't relate to his motives. I can understand why he's mad, but to to say you want to flip the dynamic so that black people are on top and enslave an entire race of people just for the color of their skin is like that's freaking insane. That's nuts. How is that relatable? I like I can understand your anger, but your motive like I can understand your motivation, but what you want, your end goal is just not good. Like with Helmut Zemo, his end goal is understandable. We can't let that happen, but it's understandable. All right, why he would want the the Avengers broken apart. But with Killmonger, I can't understand why he would want that. Just to be spiteful for revenge? That's what it sounds like. And that's the that's the big problem with Killmonger is that they play him up as this character that's supposed to be sympathetic, but what he wants is just, just terrible. It's awful. Objectively horrible. And nobody in their right mind would want that to happen. 
So how is he supposed to be sympathetic? That's the big problem with him. Is that the movie tells us he's supposed to be sympathetic, yet at every corner, at every opportunity, the movie causes him to do horrible shit. Look, I get it. Like, Michael B. Jordan is a fantastic actor. And yeah, I want to see him in the sequel because he was great as Killmonger. But as a villain, not as a hero. He was terrible. He was a horrible person. Killmonger, that is. Michael B. Jordan's a pretty cool dude. So what is this talk about, like, heroes, like, making him a hero? Like, Killmonger was the hero all along. What, what, what is this talk? What is this? Why are we talking about this? He wasn't a hero. Now, special, 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 special thing we're going to do. Because that reminds me. Because what we're going to do next episode is we're going to do something that I like to do every once in a while. It's kind of like wargaming in your head. Um, if you don't know what wargaming is, Google it. Um, but it's the equivalent of wargaming and like uh, doing some tabletop gaming. Where what I'm going to do next episode is I'm actually going to... I'm actually going to create a hypothetical Black Panther 2 where Killmonger is the hero. Yeah, I'm going to do that next episode because it's not enough to just be like, that sucks. I feel like you should be able to replace it with something that is better or create something that would be good. And we'll have a few episodes like this where we, uh, where one of the things I want to do is rebuild The Last Jedi using the concepts that have been already that have already been established in the in the movie rebuild it and tweak some things and keep some things you know but for my the next episode we're gonna build a black panther 2 where killmonger is the hero and we're gonna try to make it work right since you know like i said rest in peace chadwick boseman um gone too soon so we're not gonna have chadwick boseman in the next black panther so we're gonna have to have somebody and i feel like Personally, I think Shuri is a bit too young to be the next Black Panther. I know she's the Black Panther in the comics, but I feel like she's too young for it. In the lore, that is. Like, I know uh, the actress is like 20-something years old, but in the lore, like, Shuri is like 16 years old in the MCU. But Killmonger is really the only obvious, like, he's like the obvious choice here because he's the closest to T'Challa's, like, skill set. So... Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put a pin in that next episode. We're gonna build Bl- uh, <laughs> Blur Havoc Two. Whoops, Black Panther Two, um, from the ground up using Killmonger as the hero for a premise. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and um, I don't have a catchphrase yet. This is gonna be like the the, se- the season one like arc, isn't it? Where we're gonna have to figure out what our catchphrase is gonna be for this season. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think we finished on good time. Good time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great work, team. Great work. Fantastic. We will see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Blur Havoc podcast. Purchase the Blur Havoc book series on Amazon Kindle or paperback today. 